Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. John, I got to choose my words carefully here. I'm going to say the Saints survived the Panthers because we talked about last week. I was going to use the Saints for my survivor pick. I was terrified. I really did think about changing my pick, but I held on. I held on to those Saints. They find a way to beat the Panthers 27-24. Thank you, Will Lutz. I appreciate it, my man. So survive, and, and that was a big one for the Saints when you look at the NFC playoff picture, which I want to get into later. Big win for the Saints. They had to win that one. Yeah, this was a very uh, high-leverage game. Uh, I was looking at the playoff uh, predictions going into it. With the win, the Saints have gone up to 75% chance of reaching the postseason. That's great. If they hadn't pulled off the win, it would have gone down to about 49%. So that, that, that's a pretty big swing. Um, we've got a very competitive play- playoff picture this year, and fortunately, uh, the Saints are right in the thick of it. So it was a little scary, though, when the injury news with Michael Thomas came out. So this was, he got downgraded. This is a new thing, right? The hamstring, this is something different than what he's been dealing with in the past. So he gets downgraded, and then Manny Sanders goes on the COVID list. He has to quarantine, and he's not going to be able to play. That's kind of scary when your top two targets are out. I mean, I guess it was a neat trick for the Saints to pull that one out without their two top weapons. Yeah, it was just a master class in play calling from Sean Dayton and, and play design. I mean, the, the things that he did to get Marquez Callaway open so consistently against the Panthers' defense as far as these, uh, these stack sets, trip formations, complementary route concepts, it, it was very impressive to see and props to the rookie for stepping up in, in that big spot. Yeah, Callaway was kind of the, the player of the game and they're in the receiving core, but we also had some very big moments from Traquan Smith again, uh, who passed his 2019 receiving guards total uh, through just six games here. But he's having a big season and they're in that complimentary role. And Deontay Harris caught his very first touchdown pass from Drew Brees. Uh, that, that was touchdown pass number one for Deontay and that was Pass completion number 7,000 for Breeze right there before halftime. That's, that's so, incredible. That's incredible. Great stat for sure. Right, so, right. so major props to the receiving corps for stepping up. Props to Sean Payton and his coaches for putting these guys in a position to succeed. I think it sets them up really well uh, here against a very talented Bears defense. I hit on Michael Thomas, and I, I had to say, John, I was, I was kind of mad because I, I was so – I was so certain last week when we recorded, we recorded before he got downgraded and and eventually didn't play. I was so sure that he was going to play, right? I even had a whole segment where I'm like, John, Michael Thomas is back. There's no way he's not going to play. And then he didn't play, right? So that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate. I guess that's what happens when you're recording a podcast earlier in the week, right? So there's only so much we could do about it. But the more Michael Thomas doesn't play, the more all these crazy stories and rumors kind of swirl around about everything going on with Michael Thomas. And now he's apparently on the trade block, or at least... Michael Florio believes that he's definitely at least been involved in trade talks and it's created this really funny back and forth between Sean Payton and Mike Florio of the Pro Football Talk program. Florio continues to hammer that thing where he thinks Michael Thomas is on the trade block and and he could be traded and and Sean Payton continues to shoot that down in all kinds of creative ways. What have you thought about the Sean Payton and Florio tweet beef over Michael Thomas? Yeah, so from what Florio has has been reporting, his story's been changing a few times. You know, at first it was, oh, people outside the Saints organization believes that the Saints are trying to get someone to trade for Michael Thomas. And then the story changed from Florio to, oh, well, Michael Thomas's agents are trying to force a trade. And 
it's not going to happen maybe, but I'm going to hedge my bets and run this quick bait anyway. And that's just kind of been his playbook for the last few weeks. And Sean Payton has consistently pushed against it. I mean, he had, he had a great quote this past Saturday with, um, we've got too many insiders on the outside where, where they belong out here. And, and then, then he uh, called, called Florio out for backpedaling after the story changed. And it's just been one thing after another. And, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm on here on Sweet Deck watching it like a hawk because that, that, that's how uh, you, you put food on the table in 2020 is just watching the tweets go fly. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, I'm sure everyone is sitting at home amused by it. Michael Thomas, he, you know, he, he's favored it. He's liked a couple of Peyton's responses here. So he, 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 know what the, he knows what the game is. You know, we, we, you and I both were obviously disappointed last week when we talked, t- talked about Michael Thomas's return. The Saints, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. No the doubt. Saints were also disappointed that that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll get a chance here against the Bears. He has not been ruled out yet. Uh, it's a grade one hamstring strain, as, as has been widely reported. So he's got a chance. We'll, we'll see what happens on Sunday. It would be great to have him back, but you know, the Saints offense has been playing so well, I don't think they really need to rush him back. And it's only a good thing. All these other players are getting more experience and more snaps. But, you know, Sean Payton is kind of a ball buster, John, and, and you never know what his angles are. But you have been pretty steadfast. Like, you haven't even come off the fact that it's a non-story, the Michael Thomas trade rumors. You're just, you've really hammered that point home. I want to give you a chance to hammer it one more time. Like, put that final nail in. Like, this is not something that's an actual thing. No, and just financially, I mean, the Saints paid Michael Thomas a $20 million signing bonus last year. They're, they're not going to just accept that as a sunk cost and get rid of him, uh, you know, 12 months later. So it, it, it's not happening right now. Maybe things look vastly different in March or April uh, around next year's draft. I, I don't buy it. Not, not at this stage. I, I don't anticipate any movement from Michael Thomas before the trade deadline next Tuesday. But there could be some actual trade targets, right? Not fake ones. And John has had some pretty cool stories on the Saints Wire about this. I want to get his take on that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here. Let's talk about week eight strong plays as we approach the critical times of the fantasy football season. Despite what has been an awful season for Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz, now is the time to get him into your lineup. The Dallas Cowboys are actually a statistically mid-range defense against quarterbacks in 2020, but the position has still averaged 25.5 fantasy points per game and has thrown 15 touchdowns in seven contests versus just one interception. Wentz has been a turnover machine in 2020. Expect that trend to be bucked this week. He has just enough weapons to be relevant in a fantasy football lineup. Not much has gone right for the New England Patriots on either side of the ball in 2020. Running back Damian Harris could be the bright spot this week against the Buffalo Bills. Injuries have plagued this defense, and Buffalo has given up 15% more fantasy points than average in the last three games, fueled by four touchdowns allowed in those three contests. With Cam Newton struggling so much throwing the ball, look for Bill Belichick to give it to the running game more than usual. The Seattle Seahawks have been a wealth of fantasy points for wide receivers in 2020. 49ers receiver Brandon Ayuk has a chance to shine in Week 8. Seattle has been hilariously bad against wide receivers in 2020, giving up 60.1 PPR points per game. The next closest team is Cleveland at 48.3. San Francisco just lost Debo Samuel for a couple of games with a hamstring injury last week, and you can bet Ayuk, who has been a consistent contributor as a rookie, will find various ways to perform up to par in fantasy football in Week 8. Seattle has to focus on containing George Kittle 
and that will give a lot of opportunities for Ayuk to use his speed down the field. Chicago Bears tight end Jimmy Graham gets a rematch against his former employer facing the New Orleans Saints. Tight ends have scored once a game on average versus this defense, and four different players have logged at least a dozen PPR points against New Orleans in 2020. Graham doesn't even need a lot of volume in this one to offer a better than average chance at finding the end zone in week eight. For all of your fantasy football tips, information, news, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. So, John, I did see your story on Saints Wire, and you had some some interesting names, names that a lot of people have heard of, like Juju Smith-Schuster and Stephon Gilmore and, and guys like this that you think could be guys that the Saints could actually go after that would make sense with you know their cap and an opponent's cap and all that. Who tops your wish list for the Saints if they were to go out and grab some guys here at the deadline coming up here? Just looking at the names that are being tossed around, looking at who might be available, who, oh, man, it's tough. Just of the names that we mentioned, the name I would really love to see in the Saints offense would be Juju Smith-Schuster because he is—he he fits the profile so well of what the Saints like at receiver. And I know that we just spent five minutes talking about how well the, the, the guys in the receiving quarter played. Right, all um, those snaps they got. Yeah. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, yeah, but I'm of the opinion that there isn't a single receiving core in the NFL that's deep enough. Look, look at the Dallas Cowboys and how theoretically you would look at their top three. You, you look at Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, um, C.D. Lamb, and you say, oh, well, it doesn't matter who they have at quarterback. They, 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 they can make it happen. Well, that has not been the case the last few weeks. And I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, Drew Brees, he, he can make it happen another week, another month with Traquan Smith and Mark West Calloway and Deontay Harris seeing most of your snaps with, with calling up Austin Carr and Juwan Johnson from, from the practice squad. No, that's good enough. No, no, no. I, I don't think that's good enough in the long term. Even if we get Manny Sanders and Michael Thomas back, they go on to care. I just want to, I want to see the Saints running out the deepest and most talented set of weapons that they can put together here in what's very likely the last year of Drew Brees' career. Now, on the other side of the ball, you look at the defense, you look at where there might be room for someone. I really look at the defensive line as the spot where they could maybe find the best improvement. And the name that I keep coming back to is J.J. Watt. I don't know that Watt is going to be made available. Um, if I'm the Texans, I probably wouldn't, would not look to trade the face of the franchise after the year they've had. But just looking at where both teams are, I mean, the, the Texans are so thin on resources to improve here in the Deshaun Watson era that they kind of might have to hold their nose and make some moves that they don't necessarily have their heart in. Watt would add so much to the Saints defensive line, to the pass rush. He would just be such an improvement over some of the guys at the bottom of the depth chart. And that, that's not a knock on guys like Carl Granderson or Shy Tuttle and Malcolm Roach. Those are all very good players, but none of those guys are J.J. Watt. And if, you, if, this, if it's at all possible to bring him in, then I think the Saints have to make that move every day of the week. He would look so good in a Saints uniform, John. J.J. Watt, oh my God, that'd be sweet. Can you picture that? Just picture that, him in the Saints uniform. Oh, that'd be great. I would love it. And, and I also, you also mentioned Gilmore in that piece, and I think that's a really interesting thing. If, if the Saints are looking for someone in that secondary, we've talked about how they've struggled here in a couple of games. If the Patriots go and lose to the Bills this week and fall to 2-5, and five, I think they automatically become sellers all of a sudden. They'll be looking to trade players for good draft picks, and I think if you're willing to get rid of you know a late first, early second kind of draft pick, you could get Stephon Gilmore who was the defensive player of the year last year, right? I think the Patriots become sellers. They have a lot of good secondary pieces on their team, and they could be looking to unload if they fall to 2-5. and five. I promise you that. So that could be another interesting uh, storyline to follow, maybe. 
yeah, that would be fascinating. And if you ask most Saints fans where the team needs to get better, they'll, they'll, most of them will say the secondary. They'll, they'll say safety or defensive back. And the trouble with that is it's very difficult to look for players who, for, just, from, just from a talent standpoint, would be better than the guys who are currently starting games for the Saints. One of the few names who would be better than who the Saints already have is Stephon Gilmore. Theoretically, hypothetically speaking, if, if the Saints brought in Gilmore, he would anchor the left cornerback spot. Mar- Marshawn Lattimore would probably stay on the right side. What you would see happen is the Saints would move uh, Janoris Jack- Jenkins, Jack Rabbit, there into the slot. That, that's a role that he's played before with the New York Giants uh, in, in shadowing receivers. That, that's something he's comfortable doing. That way you still get your, your top three corners on the field and you have that, you have better depth at safety. Maybe then you can consider moving your slot defensive back, uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who had a very rough game in that role this past week. Maybe you consider moving him to single high free safety and taking Marcus Williams out for a, for a game or two to see if maybe you can ease up on some of those communication issues the Saints have been having. It's a fascinating idea. But like you said, it, a lot would need to happen for those two teams to get to the, to the bargaining table and talk about that specific player. Something tells me that Belichick and Peyton, they seem kind of aligned. I think they're kind of allies. I think those two would be boys. It's kind of cool that we get to see this week's games play out before the deadline hits. So I think this week's going to have such an impact on what teams make moves whether they try to buy, whether they try to sell. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. And another thing that's kind of interesting, John, as you hit on, the NFC playoff pitcher is really stacked. Right now, if the playoffs were to start today, the Saints would be outside looking in because all of these teams are kind of jumbled together with five wins, and the Saints are at 4-2. and two. So let's look at the Bears game and what it means for the NFC playoffs coming up next. <laughs> It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 8 Monday Night Football matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New York Giants. The Bucks at 5-2 and two are favored by 10.5 points with minus 115 odds. The Giants, 1-6, are getting 10.5 points at home, minus 106 odds. They're also plus 390 on the money line. Jeff, is there any way listeners can take the Giants in this game? Oh, absolutely. I'm on the Giants plus 10.5. Tampa Bay will be without uh, one of its best wide receivers in Chris Godwin, and the Giants have covered seven over the last eight when getting double digits since 2004, including earlier this year against the Los Angeles Rams, who are a good team. Get out of here. The Giants' offense, an absolute mess. The Bucks. They have won every game by at least seven points, four by at least 14 points, five different leading receivers. That Giants defense doesn't have it to stop them. Subscribe to Bet7 Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. John, this game's getting a big game treatment, right? Bears, Saints, 425, Fox, National TV window. So they're, they're getting some love here, and it's because the Bears, whether they're fraudulent or not, and I think there's a case to be made after that game against the Rams, that pretty pathetic performance against those those Rams this past week. If you know the Saints don't win the division against the Bucks, this is a team that could be in their way to get one of these wildcard spots. So this, this is a fun game between two teams right in the thick of the playoff race. And uh, what do you think? What's your top takeaway on Saints-Bears? 
Oh man, I, I'm not a Bears believer. I, I either. <laughs> consider them the, the, the most phony five and two team I've seen in quite some time. Um, I, I don't buy it at all. The, the, their offense has really struggled. It hasn't mattered who's the quarterback. If Nick Foles, if it's Mitchell Trubisky, neither one of them has been good. They've scored 23 or fewer points in all four of their last four games. Right, all um, full starts. Yep, he's been bad. Yeah, all, all full starts, and that's an improvement over Trubisky somehow. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, the bar is underground in that regard. I mean, there's not this. It doesn't take a whole lot. What does concern me is the Bears' defense, and they can do some things that other defenses have had success against the Saints in doing. And those are matchups like getting Khalil Mack uh, aligned all over the formation, get, getting your best rusher on the weak link of the opponent's offensive line. Um, we saw that happen this past week with Brian Burns, second-year Panthers pro, had a huge uh, sack fumble on Breeze. Uh, probably saved a touchdown on that play uh, because he got in the game. He got lined up on the backup left tackle on one of his first reps, and he, he just flambated. I mean, he roasted, cooked, crisp, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it was awful. It was a mismatch, and that's something that the Bears can do with Khalil Mack. I mean, that they can move him all around the formation. I know he had a, he had a very tough game against Ryan Ramchak at right tackle last year. He went 0 for 19 against Ramchak on passing downs. Didn't have a single pressure. That's what the Saints need to see, but unfortunately they can they cannot really dictate that matchup. Uh, because the Bears are so proactive on defense and moving their rushes around, it, it's going to be difficult for the Saints to attack them, but they can certainly look back at what the Rams did to have success uh, this past week as far as finding the weak links in Chicago's coverage, finding uh, mismatches. These are all things that the Saints have done before. They did it last year. And I think I think this game should be a get-right game for the defense and another strong performance from the offense. Yeah, it's it, it's a chance for the national audience to watch the Saints beat up on the Bears because I don't think this Bears team is very good, right? As long as the Saints can figure out how to score uh, you know, a couple touchdowns, and they always seem to, to find a way. So I do like the Saints in this ballgame. They're favored by four. I kind of like that, too. The over under is 43 and a half, probably because, as John mentioned, the Bears can't score. They're just terrible on offense. Actually, against the Rams, the Bears' defense outscored their offense 7-3, to three, so that's all you need to know. Uh, but the playoff pitcher, John, is really interesting, right? How it's shaping up in the NFC. You got the Packers, at, would be the number one seed right now at 5-1. and one. The Seahawks are also 5-1, and one, thanks to the Cardinals. And the Bucks are 5-2, and two, so in two weeks, Saints-Bucks with John Antonio Brown maybe playing in that ballgame in Week 9. That's just something that it's going to be hard for the Saints not to look ahead to that. It's going to be such a fun, great game. You get the cringeworthy Philadelphia Eagles at 2-4-1, holding down that NFC East first place right now. They're, they'd be the four seed, believe it or not, if it started today. And then Bears, Bears, Cardinals, and Rams, all 5-2, and two, and that Cardinals team is dangerous. I wouldn't want them coming to my house in, uh, in a playoff game at all. They're, they're kind of scary. So... It's really interesting, and then you look at the Saints' schedule. At Bears, at Bucks, and versus the 49ers, who's another team in the hunt at 500. So these next three games, really interesting for playoff uh, purposes. And then the Saints' schedule gets really, really gettable. Falcons, Broncos. Actually, the Falcons are on the schedule twice. Falcons, Broncos, Falcons again, and then Eagles, right? So three really interesting matchups here against potential playoff opponents, and then the schedule kind of opens up for the Saints to kind of gobble up wins, right? Like, what do you think about the playoff picture right down the NFC and where the Saints kind of fit in relative to their schedule? It projects for a very watchable uh, wild card weekend. Uh, I mean, this, it's gonna be great. speaking strictly as an NFL fan, yeah. it, we, I mean, it's a bunch of great matchups. The AFC, about, looks, the AFC um, looks good, too. There, it, I, you know, the, it, it does. It does. It's, it's looking great, good for uh, the extra playoff spot. I think it looks good right now. 
yeah, the ratings are, are going to love that. Um, but but to, to rewind back back to where the Saints stand, they're at a point in the season they, they just have got to keep stacking up wins, however they can get them. Uh, they talked about winning ugly against the Chargers. They did that. They want they didn't have the prettiest win against the Panthers. That's okay. They're on a three-game win streak. they got to keep it up. They have got to stay right in the middle of that cluster of five and two teams uh, that you mentioned. Keep up pressure on Tampa Bay and – that Sunday night matchup looms very large because not only are, are the Bucks going to have Antonio Brown, they're also going to have Chris Godwin, who injured. Uh, I think he broke. I think he broke a finger on a touchdown pass uh, this past weekend. But he's out this week, but he's expected to return for that matchup. It's, it's going it's to be tough. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, the Saints can kind of answer that by bringing Michael Thomas and Manny Sanders back into the lineup. Um, that that would be some much needed firepower. Um, especially considering how well the Bucks defense is playing. But, you know, looking at the Saints' schedule, it breaks down just like you said. They've got a series of very competitive games with serious playoff implications later on down the road. Um, just the way the Bears' schedule is structured, this could end up being a tiebreaker for the Saints between being the fifth seed or the sixth seed yep. um, once it's all said and done. Yeah, you, you expect the Saints to win this game handily, but it's also kind of a must-win game for the Saints if they want to stay in the wild card hunt. Uh, we're not even worried about winning the division right now, just because the Bucks do have that one that half, one game, half a game, however the math ch- checks out. Right now, Bucks are number one, Saints are number two. Saints just need to worry about staying in the hunt. Don't get, look too far ahead. You keep your head on the swivel and hope that the NFC West does not end up sending three uh, teams to the playoffs because that could end up knocking out the Saints. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. I cannot wait for the Tampa Bay game, but John, we got to one week at a time, right? We got one week at a time. So the Saints are playing the Bears, a team they should beat. The Bucks are playing the Giants, a team they should definitely beat. And then hopefully we get that showdown with, like you said, with all the firepower showing up in a couple weeks, week nine. So that's what I'm hoping for. But in the meantime, we got to watch the Saints take care of business against the Bears. So appreciate you. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the game. And we'll talk Bucks next week, I guess. That's terrific, Brian. Thanks, thanks again for having me. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.